Hello, podcast listeners. This is David Benjamin, your host of the Healthy, Wild, and Free podcast. Today, we have an amazing guest who is going to be talking about nitric oxide and how it applies to our health and how it can benefit our health in many different ways. Uh, Nathan Bryan is going to be on the podcast today. Dr. Bryan earned his undergraduate Bachelor of Science degree in biochemistry from the University of Texas at Austin and his doctoral degree from Louisiana State University School of Medicine in Shreveport. Shreveport, where he was the recipient of the Dean's Award for Excellence in Research. He pursued his postdoctoral training as a Kirchstein Fellow at Boston University School of Medicine. Dr. Bryan is an inventor on several U.S. patents and also an entrepreneur involved in successful commercialization of several of his discoveries. Dr. Bryan has published a number of highly cited papers and authored or edited four books. And like I said, we're going to talk about nitric oxide, how that plays a role in our health, and why it's so important for health, longevity, cardiovascular health, and all these types of things. So uh, are, you on, are you there, Dr. Brian? I am. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you as well. I wanted to start the interview the way I start all of the interviews, really, and ask you, how did you kind of get into this world of, of health and wellness, and what kind of sparked your interest in that arena? Well, it started back in late 99, 2000. I was a student at LSU School of Medicine in, in Shreveport, and we had a guest speaker there, Lou Ignaro, and he had just won the Nobel Prize in Medicine uh, a year earlier in 1998 for the discovery of nitric oxide. And I was fortunate to go have dinner with him that night. As a, a young student, I was a little bit overwhelmed, but one of the questions I asked was, I mean, a Nobel Prize has been awarded in this field. I know this is an important molecule, uh, what else is there to know about nitric oxide? His response really shocked me because he said, he goes, there's so much, he goes, we know less about this molecule than probably any molecule in history of medicine. We know it's important. We've understood that our body makes it, but that's really the extent of it. So that tipped my interest, and I had a research background and <clears throat> really started researching this molecule in, back in 2000, 2001. So um, we've developed ways to detect and quantify uh, nitric oxide in biological tissues, um, and so I spent the last 14 or 15 years trying to figure out, one, how do we diagnose nitric oxide deficiency before people get symptoms or disease? And then two, perhaps more importantly, is how do we restore nitric oxide production? Because it's now recognized that NO is involved in every biological function known in, in man, and loss of nitric oxide is really one of the earliest events in the onset and progression of all chronic diseases, be it Alzheimer's, type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, um, congestive heart failure. So understanding loss of nitric oxide, detecting it early in the disease process, and then restoring or preventing its uh, loss of production is really critical for preventing uh, chronic disease. Gotcha. Nitric oxide is, is very intriguing and interesting to me. Uh, simply because it's still somewhat new on the scene. It's not it's not a vitamin or a mineral that we've known about for a long time. It's kind of a new discovery. And uh, we've talked a little bit about nitric oxide on the podcast, but for those of the listeners that aren't fully aware of nitric oxide, how would you describe what it is exactly? Well, at the, at the end of the day, it's a signaling molecule, what we call a cell signaling molecule. It's how cells communicate with one another. It was first recognized in the cardiovascular system, so it's a it's a molecule. It's actually a gas that's produced by the lining of our blood vessels. So there's these endothelial cells that line all the blood vessels in our body, 
these endothelial cells make nitric oxide on demand. So that's what dilates the blood vessels. It's what regulates normal blood pressure. It's what keeps your platelets from clotting and sticking together, causing heart attack and stroke, and it prevents uh, white blood cells and fats from sticking to the lining of your blood vessels. So it's the most important molecule in terms of regulating cardiovascular health. But it's also a neurotransmitter in the central nervous system. Um, it's how our immune system fights off bacteria, viruses, fungi, and it's also how our immune system combats rapidly dividing cancer cells. So if, once you appreciate really the ubiquitous nature or the role of nitric oxide in every system, you can once can begin to appreciate the number of diseases or conditions that may result when we lose our ability to make nitric oxide. So it's not just hypertension. We now know it's loss of nitric oxides involved in the early onset of Alzheimer's. Uh, immunocompromised patients, they can't elicit a robust immune response and generate nitric oxide. So bacteria become resident, they become uh, resistant to our own immune system. So a number of problems uh, are related to loss of nitric oxide production. My focus has always been on the cardiovascular implications of that and how do we control and regulate second-to-second, minute-to-minute nitric oxide production um, and really control blood pressure and really try to impact the number one killer of men and women worldwide, and that's heart attack and stroke. Mm-hmm. It seems like nitric oxide is kind of similar to something like oxygen or water within the body. Is it that kind of prevalent and important? Well, you know, it's, it's really the third gas in this uh, in the pulmonary circulation, but it is critical. We know without, obviously, oxygen is probably a little bit more important because you can live only a period of minutes without sufficient oxygen. Nitric oxide, you know, we think there's a period of weeks or months that people become chronically nitric oxide depleted, uh, that they will have cardiovascular collapse. A lot of times they'll have heart attack and stroke, and that's the cause of death. But it's really how our body delivers oxygen, because if you, if you have sufficient oxygen, but yet your blood vessels are clamped down and constricted because they can't make nitric oxide, you can't deliver that oxygen to the tissues that need it most. So it, it controls oxygen delivery throughout the body. Okay, gotcha. In your book, you talk quite a bit about the endothelium, endothelial cells. How does this play a role, and how do we keep our endothelium, uh, I don't know how to exactly describe that, but the endothelial system healthy? Well, it's really quite simple, and it's known that diet and lifestyle are the key components to maintaining normal uh, endothelial function. So we know that diets like green leafy vegetables, um, high antioxidant fruit and vegetable diet can improve endothelial function. Moderate physical exercise promotes endothelial function. So it's not that we don't know how to prevent this age-related decline in nitric oxide production. It's really compliance. People don't get the right amount of exercise. People don't eat the right, the right foods. And so at the end of the day, it's really lack of proper diet nutrition and lack of proper exercise that stimulates this production of nitric oxide. And it's you know, the old adage, if you don't use it, you lose it. Um, and so that's what we see in terms of endothelial function and nitric oxide production. Right. One thing I really liked in your book was you talked a bit about the Tibetan people and how uh, they have higher nitric oxide forming uh, nitrate within their body or within their blood. Uh, can you talk a bit about, kind of share that story and kind of paint a picture for the listeners as to why that is and maybe even share if there's any other cultures in the world that that can kind of provide an example that, that differs from the kind of typical American or, or Western lifestyle? Sure. So this is a 
really an intriguing story, and I was contacted by a group of anthropologists at Case Western University, uh, and they've been interested in these chronic adaptive effects of people that live at high altitude. So obviously the higher up you ascend in altitude, the thinner the air, less oxygen you're breathing in per breath. And so if you or I who live at sea level ascend to high altitude to say 12,000 feet, uh, as where the Tibetans live, you know, we develop this hypoxia, this lack of oxygen, acute mountain sickness, and in worst case scenarios can develop high altitude pulmonary edema, which can be fatal. So the question is, what are, how do these people adapt and live in these really extreme environments, low oxygen environments, and yet do very well, seem to have no adverse signs of uh, high altitude sickness? And what the study we published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science in 2007 revealed that they basically combat this low oxygen environment by pumping up their nitric oxide production. And so this becomes relevant because you know, that's an environmentally induced low oxygen environment, but it becomes really critical in patients with compromised blood flow or oxygen deprivation from, you know, diabetic neuropathy, diabetic patients, you know, patients with peripheral artery disease, so all these ischemic type uh, events or conditions related to cardiovascular disease, it's a low oxygen environment. So our bodies should respond by increasing nitric oxide production. The problem is in these patients, the nitric oxide synthesis machinery is broken and so they can't adapt. So that study told us that increasing nitric oxide production in the human body is a physiological adaptive response to low oxygen. So it's what nature intended it to do. And interestingly enough, if we take Ethiopians, and we've tested Ethiopians now, and they live about six or 7,000 feet above sea level, about somewhere about halfway between we here in the U.S. and people up in Tibet, and they have about 50% of the nitric oxide production and activity as the Tibetans, and they're 50% less in altitude. So there is a, an incremental increase in altitude to how your body responds in terms of nitric oxide production. And now there's studies showing that if you take people living in the U.S., well-trained, healthy individuals, and you take them up two to 3,000 feet at a time, your body responds by increasing your nitric oxide production. So this is why athletes train at high altitude. People thought it was just to kind of create more red blood cells, but really the true mechanism of action of this adaptive training at altitude is that basically your body is adapting to make more nitric oxide, and so nitric oxide is critically important in exercise physiology because it allows more blood flow to the working skeletal muscle, it allows your mitochondria to work better, more efficiently, um, so, I mean, this is really, from an ecological standpoint, a very critical experiment uh, and study that was published. And to the contrary, then we got to asking the question, well, this really gives us a great example of patient populations or communities that are designed to generate more nitric oxide. Are there populations out there that can't make any nitric oxide and are completely devoid of any nitric oxide production or availability? And we got that answer from a group of hemodialysis patients. And these people, when you put on hemodialysis because you have renal failure, 70% uh, of the people die within five years. So there's a 70% five-year mortality. So the question is, what's happening with nitric oxide? And we published this paper last year and really find that the hemodialysis process, along with their underlying end-stage uh, renal disease, shuts down all sources of nitric oxide production. And so we think, you know, just the opposite of the... Tibetans who are programmed and adapted to generate lots of nitric oxide, the hemodialysis patients can't, and as a result, we see a five-year 70% uh, mortality. 
So we think, you know, nitric oxide is really critical in understanding how this molecule is produced within our body, uh, understanding and diagnosing before the onset of disease, and then implementing dietary lifestyle and nutritional supplement uh, strategies that restore nitric oxide, uh, I think is really the holy grail in cardiovascular medicine. Yeah, I think it plays a huge role in just hearing how the Tibetans and Ethiopians, how their bodies adapt as elevation increases to produce more nitric oxide or nitric oxide and, and nitrate in the blood. Uh, it just makes sense how, how our bodies kind of can adapt like that. As far as, are you familiar with hyperbaric chambers by any chance? Yeah, hyperbaric oxygen. Yeah. What do, Does that play a role in either nitric oxide production in the body, good or bad? You know, there's some evidence that hyperbaric oxygen can improve nitric oxide production because the body needs oxygen. Oxygen is one of these uh, cofactors that the body needs to make nitric oxide. So if you've got tissue or vascular beds that uh, aren't getting enough oxygen and through high pressure, which is what basically it is, it's pushing oxygen into the system basically by high pressure, you can deliver that oxygen to those tissue beds and then provide that that enzyme that makes nitric oxide some oxygen that then can uh, start turning on nitric oxide production. Um, it's somewhat effective. I think it's the indications, especially for chronic wound healing, uh, it's been shown to be very beneficial. Uh, so there's some utility for hyperbaric oxygen. I think nitric oxide is part of the way that, that uh, hyperbaric therapy is working. Interesting. Huh. So oxygen is kind of one of the ingredients, if you will, for the recipe of, of nitric oxide production in the body. Are there, is there anything specifically, I mean, we're all breathing on a day-to-day basis, but is there is there a way to kind of increase the oxygen within our cells and within our bodies in order to supplement that in a better way? Well, oxygen is really not the limiting factor in terms of nitric oxide production. Um, your mitochondria will stop respiring um, long before it ever affects nitric oxide production. But really, too, if we're looking at what controls production of nitric oxide, you know, for years people thought that L-arginine was the way to go. And, you know, probably a lot of your listeners will be aware of nitric oxide-related products that basically have high dose of L-arginine. Well, in the early 90s, it was realized that the enzyme that makes nitric oxide in our body uses L-arginine as a substrate, and it converts one of those nitrogens on L-arginine into nitric oxide. And for that reaction to occur, you need a number of cofactors and substrates. In fact, it's probably the most complicated reaction in the human body. You need tetrahydrobiopterin, you need oxygen, you need glutathione, you need a lot of flavin-dependent cofactors, NADPH, uh, without getting into the, the complex biochemistry. Um, there's a lot of things working in that reaction. And so until you begin to support that entire reaction, you know, products, that contain only L-arginine or L-arginine with some antioxidants that's really aren't effective. And in fact, there's a number of clinical trials that have been published showing that if you give L-arginine-based products to really sick patients, these are patients who have just had a heart attack or patients with peripheral artery disease, they actually get worse. Uh, and it was, you know, in the one trial, in the Vintage trial in 2006, uh, there was an increase in mortality in people taking L-arginine than they were the placebo. So the results of that trial was L-arginine shouldn't be given uh, to patients who have just suffered a heart attack who are at risk of a heart attack. So we've, we've understood this reaction for a number of years, and uh, we've identified now ways to 
restore normal nitric oxide production and really through some discoveries we've made here at the University of Texas Medical School, identified some natural product chemistry, plant-based products that have been shown to be very effective at restoring nitric oxide production. So is L-arginine still beneficial? It's just kind of in, in the in a certain process or a certain methodology or what? Well, L-arginine can be effective in young, well-trained athletes, you know, a lot of bodybuilders, a lot of uh, younger people. So the enzyme, and the analogy I like to use because people seem to get it, is if you've got a car with a blown-up engine, it doesn't do any good to fill the gas tank with gas, right? And so L-arginine, in a lot of these conditions where people are NO deficient, it's not because they're deficient in nitric oxide or in L-arginine, it's because the engine that converts arginine to nitric oxide is broken. So in those particular patient populations, you can give L-arginine all day long till the cows come home. The problem is your body's not able to convert it and utilize it as a source of nitric oxide. Now, in young, healthy people that have a functional enzyme, you can give L-arginine and in some cases be able to see a little bit more nitric oxide out at the other end, but it's still a very ineffective strategy for generating nitric oxide in the human body. Okay. As far as diet is concerned, you said earlier in the interview that diet and exercise both play the kind of biggest roles in boosting nitric oxide levels or just kind of balancing nitric oxide levels. What, Which foods or kind of food categories are most beneficial for nitric oxide balance and production? Well, we've actually quantified these, and we know that the DASH diet, the dietary approaches to stop hypertension, uh, has been clinically proven to reduce blood pressure, works because of its nitric oxide effects. Similarly, the Mediterranean diet, uh, which includes a lot of green leafy vegetables, um, uh, some uh, olive oil, a lot of red wine, people in the Mediterranean eat. But really, to get down to it, it's really your green leafy vegetables. And it's by virtue of their nitrate content. So a lot of these green leafy vegetables that are grown in soil basically concentrate inorganic nitrate in the leaves and in the stems of these. So any vegetable you eat that's grown in soil, we're getting a source of these nitrogen oxides. And now we're finding that the human body can actually utilize nitrate and, and, and as a source of nitric oxide. Now, interestingly enough, humans don't have the enzymes to do this. So this, we rely on bacteria that live in and on our body to metabolize nitrate into nitrite nitric oxide. So what we're finding now in a, a paper we just got published a couple of weeks ago was that people, if, even if people are eating the right diet, eating a lot of spinach, kale, um, arugula, of these green leafy vegetables, drinking beetroot juice, uh, eating beets, if you don't have the right bacteria in your mouth, uh, you're not getting the nitric oxide benefit of that diet. And we find that as many as maybe 30 to 40% of the general population, at least here in the U.S., may not have the right bacteria, either because they have an active oral infection and these pathogens outcompete the good bacteria. A lot of people are using antiseptic mouthwashes that kill all bacteria in their mouth. So this is not a very good idea, I think, because you're disrupting nitric oxide production, and uh, over the long term you'll become nitric oxide defi deficient and be it a, really an unbelievable increased risk of having a heart attack or stroke. Interesting. So specifically, you don't really recommend any antibacterials, at least orally, because of this? Well, I think, I think there's some merit to this hygiene hypothesis of disease because bacteria outnumber our own cells by 10 to 1. 
And so these bacteria do things that the human body can't do. You know, and there's, for instance, vitamin K uh, metabolism. A lot of B vitamin metabolism requires bacterial activation before the body can utilize a lot of these vitamins and minerals and nutrients. And so when people start using uh, antibacterial soaps, antiseptic mouthwashes, overusing antibiotics for acute infections, uh, then we start eradicating all bacteria because a lot of these, especially antiseptic mouthwashes or antibacterial soaps, are non-selective. They kill off all bacteria, the good and the bad. So what we want to do is preserve these good bacteria, these communities of essential commensal bacteria that are performing essential metabolic functions for the human body, and get rid of the bad bacteria. And until we can develop uh, selective and specific antimicrobials to get rid of the bad guys and keep the good guys, then I think of any type of antiseptic um, strategy may do more harm than good. Now, I'm not saying you should avoid antibiotics. Antibiotics are very useful for certain acute infections, but, um, you know, there's a balance here. We can't go overboard with, with um, trying to kill off all bacteria. Right. What about herbs, spices, garlic, things that are antibacterial in nature? Does that affect that in any way? Well, we're just now, we've, we've identified these, these bacteria in the oral cavity that are responsible for this, and we're finding that if you like these bacteria, um, then you, you may be nitric oxide deficient. Now, what we don't know, and because this is a brand new field of research and a brand new discovery, is what particular hygienic practices or dietary practices affect these bacteria. We don't know if a simple hydroxide rinse in the mouth will kill bacteria. We don't know if normal toothpaste are killing these good guys. And, um, so there's a lot of unanswered questions, but you know we're trying to get to the bottom of it. But to get back to your question, we know that there's some herbs and spices that have nitric oxide activity, and uh, we think that's the benefit of some ethnic diets. Uh, you know, parsley's high. We know curcumin does some things on on nitric oxide. Uh, production. So there's a lot of these, and a lot of traditional Chinese medicines. We published a paper in 2009 showing that a lot of traditional Chinese medicines that have been used for centuries work, and they're very effective because they generate nitric oxide when taken. Hmm. Okay. As far as the, the the good and the bad bacteria is concerned, do you recommend eating any like probiotics or prebiotics in your diet in order to kind of balance that as well? Well, the bacterial communities that are in the mouth are vastly different than those that colonize the small intestines and even the, the large bowel um, or the colon. So a lot of people take probiotics, and it's to uh, recolonize important gut bacteria. So we haven't gone that far down the alimentary canal. We started in the mouth. And so we've actually filed several patents. We're in the process of trying to develop some probiotics and prebiotics that would actually repopulate these bacteria in the oral cavity. Uh, there's a couple of oral probiotics and prebiotics on the market now, I've noticed, uh, but they don't contain any of the bacteria that we've discovered and identified as being essential for this process. In fact, a lot of them would probably do more harm than good because they're killing off the good guys. And In fact, lactobacillus is uh, inhibitory in a lot of this nitric oxide production, and most probiotics contain lactobacillus. Really? Huh. Interesting. So as far as that is concerned, leafy greens sounds like the kind the the most beneficial category overall. Beyond leafy greens, I read in your book that things like green and black tea, 
uh, cacao, pomegranate are also beneficial. Do these have less effective results overall, or are they still recommended just as highly well, as the greens? Yeah, the the message is still a balanced diet in moderation. That's you know predominantly fruits and vegetables, green leafy vegetables. And so to to generate nitric oxide, there are many different steps, and to maintain NO bioavailability, there's lots of steps in the process, and a lot of things like that's in um, green tea, uh, a lot of antioxidant-rich fruits or herbs, polyphenols will help restore nitric oxide production and actually uh, suppress oxidative stress. So when you do that, you actually prolong the activity of nitric oxide. So you can affect this both at the level of the production and also by combining a lot of these things that we recommend, you can enhance the half-life for how long nitric oxide stays around because when there's a high level of oxidative stress and you have insufficient antioxidant consumption, then you, these other oxygen radicals will start scavenging nitric oxide and it uh, doesn't, doesn't stay around long enough to do its job. Okay. You talk a bit in your book about deep breathing through the nostrils and how that can play a role in nitric oxide production. Is this something that has been researched or is this something that, how, how did this come about exactly? It has been well researched. There's a group out of the Karolinska Institute. So this nitric oxide synthase enzyme, it's found in the highest concentration and density in our epithelial cells, these cells that line our sinuses and nasal airways. So they're activated by mechanical stress. So when you inspire deeply, that basically sends the rush of air through there and it bends these epithelial cells, these mechanoreceptors, and it signals to make nitric oxide. So you can actually dilate your airways and get more oxygen into the lungs, you get better oxygen CO2 exchange. So these deep breathing exercises, which are very effective at lowering blood pressure, calming people, anxiety, is because of nitric oxide release and delivery into the pulmonary vasculature. Um, and you can lower blood pressure, you can ease anxiety. Um, so deep breathing exercises are, are calming um, and they're very effective because they're delivering nitric oxide. Very cool. You mentioned also in, the, in your book the, that infrared saunas and thermal therapy play a role. Can you talk a bit about how that plays a role and how, it's, how those are beneficial? Well, there's several um, lights. Certain wavelengths of light can actually cleave nitric oxide bound to glutathione or certain proteins in and on the skin and even subdermal in, in the vasculature. Um, a lot of that is... Um, almost UV, the infrared, I'm not sure what role it's playing on nitric oxide, but the saunas are basically any time you sweat, sweating, sweating basically provides your body a source of nitric oxide. So when you sweat, you have both nitrate and ammonia uh, in your sweat glands, and then on our skin, we have what are called ammonia-oxidizing bacterium, provided you're not using antibacterial soap to rid these bacteria that live on our skin. So when we sweat, these bacteria utilize the sweat to generate nitric oxide. This has been shown to fight off fungal infections on the skin, bacterial infections on the, on the skin. Uh, and so really sweating is providing the body with a source of nitric oxide. Uh, the problem is, and the example I use all the time, if you've got any animal lovers out there, if you, if you bathe your dog or a horse, you know, what's the first thing they typically do? Right. A roll in the sand. Oh yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Because that's what na nature's told them. Because we just removed a lot of these ammonia oxidizing bacteria from this surface from their skin, 
the first thing they want to do is go repopulate these because that's what nature designed us to do. So, and a lot of these ammonia oxidizing bacteria are found in the soil. So, people who live in rural areas, uh, it's known that kids who grew up in a rural environment that are exposed to pets have lower incidence of allergies, uh, asthma, uh, a lot of immune disorders because they have the source of NO. Whereas kids that grow up in a concrete jungle in the city aren't exposed to these ammonia oxidizing bacteria, so it's disrupting this one of these nitric oxide production pathways. So at the end of the day, it's good to get out and get dirty sweat. Uh, there's a normal physiological effect to doing that. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's, that means my move from Michigan to Costa Rica has served my nitric oxide levels quite well. <laughs> <laughs> Go roll around in the dirt a little bit and sweat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I, I see. It's funny you say that. I see dogs do that here all the time on the beach. They go in the ocean and then roll on the beach right after, and the owners are like, ah. But hey, you know, that's, there's a benefit to it, I guess. Uh, so be, beyond yep. uh, diet and, and the uh, deep breathing exercises and things like that, Chinese herbs, you also talk a bit about acupuncture. Now, this one intrigued me because acupuncture doesn't seem like it would affect NO levels at all. How does this affect NO levels, and do you use it yourself or, or kind of recommend that in any way specifically? Yeah, there are people and some acupuncturists here that have tested blood and saliva levels of nitric oxide before and after an acupuncture treatment and see that we can improve nitric oxide production. And so there's this force that people have called qi in uh, Chinese medicine for a number of years, and qi is this kind of this pneuma or this restorative type uh, element in Chinese medicine. And we argued back in 2009 that qi may actually be nitric oxide, or nitric oxide may be qi that's been described in traditional medicine for, for many, many centuries. Um, and it does it, I think, by several ways, because once you start opening up, um, you know, circuits, there's um, energy flow of circuits uh, that acupuncture basically opens up. So you can do it from a neuromuscular standpoint and increase nitric oxide production by neurons, or you can open up the vasculature through a lot of these acupuncture treatments and then restore nitric oxide production via that way. Um, but that technique is very, very effective. In fact, it's, it's still used today because it is effective in, in many patients in many different conditions. Interesting. Is there a certain amount of time? I mean, if someone does acupuncture once a week or once a month, is there a certain sort of limit to that? That I don't know. All the studies we've done looking at the acute effects of acupuncture on NO have only been from a single session. We don't know if it becomes less effective over time or if you get an additive or sometimes synergistic effect when you treat acupuncture with a lot of traditional medicines and using the whole uh, basis or armament of traditional medicines with acupuncture herbs and um, things like that. We don't have any of those answers yet, but it would make sense um, to do that because the things they do in traditional medicine are working on nitric oxide production pathways, and some of them may be different pathways. Mm-hmm. Very cool. I want to talk a bit about exercise. This is something that it seems like it's in the diet world or in the health world that there's one expert or guru or author that has diet advice in one direction and one that has advice in another direction. And as far as nitric oxide, we know because of the research that these specific foods and kind of categories increase NO production. As far as exercise is concerned, is there a specific type of exercise or a specific routine that is more beneficial, maybe high intensity, low intensity, that is beneficial specifically for nitric oxide production? 
Well, I think it depends on the health of the individual because what we know is that your ability to generate nitric oxide will predict how well you can exercise or how long, how good an athlete you are, how long you can exercise. So, for instance, if you're a well-trained young athlete that has normal endothelial function, meaning you can generate sufficient nitric oxide to um, to keep up with the increased metabolic demand from that activity, then you are a well-trained elite athlete. And we see that in the best athletes, the Olympic athletes of the world, um, can sustain that type of activity, either sprinters or marathon triathlete Ironman, because they're able to sustain some level of nitric oxide production. To the contrary, if you take an older patient um, that has standard cardiovascular risk factors and you begin them to exercise, uh, their body, their blood vessels don't make nitric oxide. And so as a result, they become uh, fatigued. They're no longer able to maintain an exercise regimen. And in fact, that's the basis of an exercise stress test. So if you got a patient with uh, has some uh, heart problems or angina, you go to their cardiologist and he puts you on a treadmill, as he's increasing the workload or increasing the incline on that treadmill, if your coronary arteries, the arteries in your heart, can't generate nitric oxide to dilate the blood vessels to supply more oxygen to meet the increased metabolic demand on the heart, then you're going to fail your stress test. And most of the time they're going to wheel you upstairs and put some metal stents in your arteries or crack you open and do a bypass. So really what they're measuring is indirectly your ability to generate nitric oxide. So those are the two extremes. And we know that once you reach the anaerobic threshold and oxygen becomes limiting in skeletal muscle or in certain tissue beds, then your nitric oxide production ceases because you don't have oxygen around to support that reaction. So there's different uh, regimens that are more effective in certain patient populations or certain uh, health populations. So the aging patient or the subject we recommend kind of a low intensity, you know, 20 to 30 minutes of a brisk walk or a slow, slow jog is sufficient to generate nitric oxide production. In a well-trained individual who may be a competitive athlete, you know, these high-intensity exercises really amps up your nitric oxide production and gets your body accustomed and acclimated to seeing that burst of nitric oxide and then having the adaptive effects. And those include generating more mitochondria, producing more mitochondria, and those mitochondria are actually uh, performing much more better, so they're generating ATP or the cellular energy more efficiently. Hmm. So, the, so exercise is critical, and I think when you mm-hmm. begin to exercise the right way and start to eat the right foods, I mean, we see this all the time. People feel better. They look better. Uh, they enjoy exercising because it's uh, not such a burden on their system. Can the body actually store nitric oxide reserves, or is it something that's kind of used and depleted quickly? No, it does. In fact, that's a good question because people ask all the time. Once you begin to understand what nitric oxide is and does, those are the questions that come up because once nitric oxide is produced by the lining of our blood vessels, it's around for about one second. So it activates its cellular targets and it basically signals other cells or other molecules to start acting. So the, the cell signaling aspect of nitric oxide is very short-lived. But it, we, we know that it binds to glutathione. It can be transported and stored as NO bound to the cysteine residue of glutathione. Um, it forms nitride and nitrate in the body. Uh, so once nitric oxide is produced, it can react with oxygen and form nitrite. Nitrite circulated throughout our body and our bloodstream, concentrated in our saliva, stored in our tissues. Uh, same with nitrate. 
And so our kidneys reabsorb nitrite, nitrate, and this is kind of the reservoir of nitric oxide activity. So you bring up a good point, and one of the things that we know when you do high-intensity exercise, when you become hypoxic and have lack of oxygen, if you have these reserves built up in your body, then those start regenerating or recycling nitric oxide, and you can basically push that anaerobic threshold back, push that wall back, and go harder, stronger, longer, and faster because you have this reserve of nitric oxide. Hmm. Very interesting. In, in your personal life and your personal routine, do you measure your own nitric oxide levels, or is that something that is left up to others? <laughs> I do. You know, we've been doing this for 15 years in the lab. We have instrumentation and analytical uh, setups to quantify and detect nitric, free nitric oxide gas, as well as a lot of these metabolites that act as the reservoir in, in the body. We've also recently developed a nitric oxide test strip um, and test your saliva, so it's really the world's only nitric oxide diagnostic. But it's basically a salivary test strip that we've got um, worldwide patents on. You put, apply your saliva to the end of this test strip, and within a matter of two to three seconds, it'll give you a color change, and that color change is indicative of your what we call total body nitric oxide availability. Oh, wow. Uh, but it's really, you can't, the, the frustrations and the problems have been in, in terms of cardiovascular medicine are, you, if you go to your physician, your primary care cardiologist, and want to know your nitric oxide levels, this isn't an answer he can provide you because it's not part of the standard blood labs. Uh, there's really no clinical measure of nitric oxide production. So that's why we thought it was very important to develop this salivary diagnostic because it's really the only way we can tell what our nitric oxide levels are. So we do it routinely. We sell this as a nitric oxide diagnostic. It's a um, home diagnostic uh, test kit that we sell on the Internet as well as a lot of pharmacies and health food stores around the world. How much is that kit out of curiosity? I believe they retail. We sell tubes of 10, and they retail for 11 or 12 bucks, I think. I oh, wow, that's cheap. Huh. That's yeah. surprising. I didn't I, – okay. So you see that? Do you see that being more prevalent in doctors' offices and things like that in the future? Is that kind of your goal? Yeah, we do. We sell a lot of these foods through doctors' offices. In fact, we provide a lot of doctors' offices these strips for free because it shows that their patients need nitric oxide. And then we've developed a patented nitric oxide product that's over the counter called Neo Forty Daily. And so this is utilizing some of the natural product chemistry we discovered. I filed several patents back in 2000, 2008, 2007, 2008, and three of them have been issued um, in 2012 and 2013. So we have this product that we've proven in four to five different clinical trials that it restores nitric oxide in the human body, and we can see things from people that have elevated blood pressure, hypertension, uh, that we can normalize their blood pressure. Um, we find uh, metabolic syndrome, patients with metabolic syndrome that have uh, high triglycerides. We can reduce their triglycerides by 27% in 30 days, um, take prehypertensive patients and make them normal tensive in 30 days. We see an improvement in sexual function, you know, because we think one of the, well, there's evidence to demonstrate that uh, sexual dysfunction, both erectile dysfunction in men and women, is one of the earliest signs of insufficient nitric oxide production because if you can't dilate blood vessels to the uh, genitalia, you can't get a sustained an erection in men, and women can't get the clitoral engorgement they need to have an orgasm and to have the uh, heightened sensation. So when you restore nitric oxide production, um, sexual function improves. It makes sense physiologically. Um, 
so that product has done very well. Um, like I said, we've got a lot of doctors using it uh, around the U.S., Canada, Mexico, South Korea. Uh, we're moving into South America, Australia, and the European Union uh, in the coming years. But it's exciting to see people get better for the first time, and it's this non-prescription, over-the-counter uh, formulation that's, you know, we've registered it with the FDA as a dietary supplement, so it's sold uh, OTC. Um, but it's exciting. It's very, very effective, and we see people get better all the time. And, and what's the name of that product? The product is called Neo40. Neo40, okay. Neo40. Okay, and then what was the, do you have, the, I'm assuming that's available online then, correct? Yeah, a lot of this information, including the uh, information on nitric oxide, a lot of the clinical trials, a lot of the basic science that went into developing this product and technology is on our website at www.neogenis.com, N-E-O-D-E-N-I-S.com. Okay, and then the the strips as well that test your NO levels, are those on that website as well? They are. We, we we have the strips, the technology behind the strips, the Neo40 product. We have the nitric oxide solution books. All the information uh, and product solutions you want around nitric oxide we provide on that website. Great. I'm curious about, okay, so we talked a bit about, you know, how to kind of boost nitric oxide levels and, and all the different aspects that go into that. Beyond heart health, uh, sexual health, things like this, what other benefits can be seen from boosting nitric oxide levels in the body? Uh, number one is more energy. You know, if you start to open up blood vessels and get blood and oxygen and nutrients where it needs to go, people uh, have better energy, better mental focus. In fact, a lot of dementia, what they call vascular dementia, pre-Alzheimer's, is simply due to reduced blood flow to the prefrontal cortex. So we know that our nitric oxide lozenge dilates blood vessels. We can open up the cerebral arteries that feed the prefrontal cortex. Memory improves. In fact, we put a lot of people through cognitive exams. Uh, they improve in cognition. Um, better sleep. You know, I can't, still can't explain that, but probably the number one, number two response we get back from people who have been taking our Neo40 is better sleep. Um, that's interesting. Those are really the top three, sexual function, more energy, and better sleep, which, I mean, to me, that's huge because they're all intertwined. Uh, if you don't get enough sleep, you're not going to be able to think, you're not going to have any energy, you're not going to be able to perform sexually, so really sleep. <laughs> Maybe this is all an effect of people getting a good night's sleep and allowing the body to heal and repair. Right, yeah, well, the nitric oxide, I'm assuming, would boost recovery and help the blood and nutrients get to places in the body that wouldn't before, so that, that does make sense. Right. Uh, one additional question, actually, I missed this, was is hydration. How does hydration play a role in nitric oxide levels? Well, hydration is really key in terms of uh, regulating blood flow because we have a certain amount of volume in our, in our system and then our body responds by maintaining some normal pressure. Um, so if you're dehydrated, a lot of times you'll have low blood pressure, your blood vessels will clamp down to try to maintain some pressure, um, and then there's no need for nitric oxide. So, again, it's one of those things that if you don't use this and this enzyme is not acted upon or activated, a lot of times it will become dysfunctional uh, and not be active. So hydration is critically important because of basically volume expansion and giving the cells the water and the nourishment they need to make new cells. So really aging, when we look at aging from a very simplistic standpoint, it's really the loss of our ability to generate new cells that work properly. 
and water is critically for making new cells. It's 70, 80% of the, uh, our body makeup. And it's really pure, clean water that's really essential and alkalinized water <clears throat> that's really most effective. So hydration is critical, but anytime you're affecting um, vascular regulation, be it through dehydration or hydration or any of these other factors, uh, at the end of the day, it boils down to affecting nitric oxide production. Hmm. Be beyond alkaline water, is there any other tips you'd have for hydration? I know some people say just drink more water, and then others say, well, if you drink more water, you're just going to you know, urinate more often and, and lose more hydration potentially and minerals with that. Is there something, as far as that's concerned, that, you, that you'd recommend? Well, it just depends on what people are doing. Obviously, if they're sweating a lot and they're active, they're losing a lot of potassium, sodium, and magnesium in their sweat and their urine, so you need to rehydrate with these electrolytes. Um, Gatorade's not great, but obviously everybody knows about Gatorade. But any type of um, water, I mean, there's no substitute for water. I think water is critically important. You have to drink that. But if you're, you know, if you're active and you're, you just got to keep an eye on your electrolytes and make sure that you replenish. But if you drink pure water, eat raw foods, good foods, um, you're going to get these electrolytes through your diet. Um, and there would be no need for hydration therapy using these electrolytes, unless, of course, you're um, an active person, an athlete that loses a lot of these during exercise. Okay, very cool. With with the work that I'm doing in the Healthy, Wild, and Free podcasting website, the goal is to really help people in their health, their wellness, and just kind of in their mind, body, and spirit. Uh, and I ask every every guest on the show, uh, what what will be your top three tips for kind of improving your mind, body, spirit, health, and it can be related to nitric oxide and diet, or it can be something along the lines of a more peaceful mind, if you will. Uh, what, what would those top tips be in, in your life that have benefited you that you would recommend to others? Well, this is what we've proven scientifically. You know, I'm a professor of medicine at the University of Texas Medical School, so I'm, my main job is to do biomedical research and try to figure a lot of these complicated pathways and mechanisms out. But at the end of the day, the, it's still eating raw foods, um, green leafy vegetables, um, a good da balanced diet in moderation, getting moderate physical exercise, which can be as little as 20 to 30 minutes a day. And, you know, we find that people taking a nitric oxide product, because there may be problems in their own endogenous pathways, they don't have the right bacteria, they don't have the right stomach acid production that promotes nitric oxide production. So our technology overcomes all those to where if diet and exercise aren't working for you in terms of restoring nitric oxide production, then our technology will. And so that we see, and I get a call, I mean, I get a number of calls a day from people who find my uh, contact information on the website here at my academic office, and it's really gratifying to see these people that have been sick for 10, 15, 20 years who've been on our product, and all of a sudden they're well, they're, um, and they get this balance of mind, spirit, and body because, one, it's hard to do that if you're sick. If you get people well, they become more focused on doing other things and getting their mind right and uh, having this relationship with God or a spiritual being. Um, so I think it's 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 very simple, maybe too simplistic, but we know it works, and it's eating the right amounts of the right types of foods, uh, getting the right amount of physical exercising, and, and and taking a nitric oxide booster like our Neo Forty. But if diet and exercise work for you, then there's no need for our product. Awesome! Thank you so much for that. 
What, one additional question I do have is, are there any other kind of new patents or products or things that you're working on right now that are really exciting and innovative in the health space? Yeah, we do. We've got we've got a lot of things in the pipeline. Uh, from a research standpoint, you know, we think identifying these bacteria that are critical um, in the oral cavity, we think we can develop this as a new risk factor for cardiovascular disease because, as I mentioned earlier, if, you, if people don't have these right bacteria, they can eat the green leafy vegetables all day long. They can do the things that I recommend, but if these bacteria are missing, they're not going to get the nitric oxide benefit out of it. So that's critical from it. And another thing we were doing is, is identifying people that have resistant hypertension. We're finding that it may be due to the fact that it's they don't have the right bacteria. So the notion that hypertension may be caused, may be a bacteria problem or a lack of bacteria, completely changes the game and the paradigm in terms of cardiovascular medicine because people have never thought that far outside the box. But we have the evidence to demonstrate that. So in terms of product solutions, we're developing uh, several patents, as I mentioned before, on trying to establish an effective solution that would repopulate these bacteria and, and basically reconnect the circuit. Um, we've recently launched a sports line, a sports product. Um, we've got many Olympic athletes that are using it in Sochi, uh, a lot of professional athletes, Boston Red Sox, Miami Heat, Indiana Pacers, about a dozen NFL football teams, men's and Olympic. Uh, women's Olympic soccer teams, a lot of Olympic athletes. So that's getting a lot of traction. And, you know, our whole uh, mission is really to change people's lives. And we know that we know how to make nitric oxide. We know the effect nitric oxide has on the human body. Uh, and that's what we think is a platform technology, not only just for cardiovascular health, but for well-trained athletes. We can enhance their performance in a way that's natural, uh, non-doping, and legal. So that's going to be a big play for us, and we're excited about that. Very cool. That's incredible. That's cool that you have Olympic athletes and professional athletes using your products. I think that's just a testament to how effective they are because they're performing at you know the highest levels of, of human p- potential and capacity as far as physical exertion is required. So thank you that's so much. It's all same ingredients, so it's nothing they have to worry about. Very cool. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Brown. Where can our listeners find you? What are your websites that uh, these different products and resources can be found at? Um, her company website is neogenis.com. That's N-E-O-G-E-N-I-S.com. Um, or for more information, you can find my academic website. You can just Google Dr. Nathan Bryan, and all of my academic uh, contacts will come up, as long as, as well as a number of different uh, television, radio interviews I've done. Awesome. Thanks so much again, and uh, we'll, I'm sure maybe we'll have you back on the podcast at some point in the future to talk about some of these. Uh, some further research and, and, you know, kind of what's going on in in this field. So thanks again for your time and uh, have a great rest of the day. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks. Bye. And we'll wrap the show with that. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Healthy, Wild, and Free podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's guest, Dr. Nathan Bryan. His work is amazing. He's really one of the foremost experts in nitric oxide in the world. And nitric oxide is a huge kind of emerging field of research as far as improving your health and optimizing your health, your cardiovascular health, your your recovery, your sleep, your eye health, all these different things. It applies to so many areas of health and well-being in the body because this gas literally runs throughout our whole body. So I included Dr. Nathan Bryan's book and supplement on HealthyWildAndFree.com. If you go to HealthyWildAndFree.com and search 
the box, the search box for Dr. Nathan Bryan or just nitric oxide, his interview will pop up and you can see his book and supplement and I link directly to both of those so you can check those out. Also, if you aren't already subscribed to the Healthy, Wild and Free email newsletter, the email newsletter is where I keep in contact with you. I will email you the most recent podcast interviews, videos discussing health benefits of certain foods, herbs, spices, and things like that, and just general health and wellness advice, green living advice, all this type of content right to your email inbox. So if you aren't subscribed to the Healthy, Wild, and Free email newsletter, go to healthywildandfree.com, and the box is on the right-hand side. Make sure to subscribe to that newsletter. Also, like the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash healthy, wild, and free. I post inspirational infographics and things like that on a daily basis as well as uh, just inspiring content and information around health, wellness, and green living there. And one last place you can find me is on YouTube. I'm starting to do more YouTube videos, so make sure to go to youtube.com forward slash healthy, wild, and free and subscribe to that YouTube channel because I'm sharing videos on, once, I, once again, kind of the health benefits of foods, herbs, spices, uh, and just really all sorts of information and content on detoxification, nutrition, energetic medicine, healing, recovery, optimizing your health in, in many different ways. So uh, lots more to come with Healthy, Wild, and Free. Lots more videos, interviews. Uh, I have an ebook in the pro- in the works right now on uh, basically uh, 101 tips to naturally lose weight. And they're quick tips and they're, they're very cheap and very effective all natural to kind of align your body, your health, and, and really just help to kind of detoxify and, and uh, release that weight for good. So lots of stuff in the works. Make sure to follow the Facebook page, the YouTube channel, and subscribe. One last request I have is to subscribe to the Healthy, Wild, and Free podcast on iTunes. This is very important because in iTunes, the success of the Healthy, Wild, and Free podcast really depends on you, the listener. And if I don't get enough reviews in the Healthy, Wild, and Free podcast, the podcast just kind of falls into the abyss and it is never to be seen or heard again. So if I could, if you could really help me out uh, in leaving a review in iTunes, if you just go to iTunes on your computer and search for Healthy, Wild, and Free in the iTunes store, you can actually subscribe to the podcast in there so you don't miss an episode. You can get it on your smartphone, your iPod, your iPad, whatever you listen to the podcast with so you don't miss an episode. And then just click on Ratings and Reviews and click Write a Review. And that's really going to help me get more attention, more uh, attention to the podcast so that I can really attract more guests on the show because it takes a lot of work to get guests to uh, kind of notice the show, notice what I'm doing, and to say yes to an interview and then to schedule a time and to prepare for the interview and do all this work. So uh, you can really help me out by just simply taking five minutes, even you know two or three minutes, it doesn't take long at all, and just going to iTunes, typing in Healthy Wild Free, and leaving a review and subscribing there because that will help kind of elevate the podcast and to get more people seeing this health and wellness information and content. So thank you so much for tuning into my podcast. It's it's a huge labor of love for me and following the work I do on Healthy, Wild, and Free. I hope this is inspiring you and helping you in your life to make healthier, wiser decisions in your health and well-being. And thank you so much for spreading the word about this information with your friends and family. I really want to reach literally hundreds of thousands and millions of people with this information someday through the podcast, the videos, and the website. So thank you so much once again. I really appreciate it, and I will see you in the next episode. Uh, The next episode, I'm going to be interviewing 
Dr. Lester Sawicki. He's a uh, dentist, a holistic dentist. So we're going to be talking about teeth health, uh, how to whiten your teeth naturally, how to keep your teeth healthy, uh, your gums healthy, your teeth healthy and strong, and, and really just the importance of that because uh, Dr. Weston A. Price, his work really has shown that teeth health is kind of one of the uh, major factors in determining uh, the health of an individual in the future. So we're going to be talking all about teeth health and a little bit of fitness and nutrition and other stuff in the interview as well, but mainly teeth health, teeth whitening, and how to kind of remineralize the teeth. So see you in next week's episode. Take care and have a great rest of the day. Bye.